Hello and welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. On this episode, we'll review the final stage of the under-20 South American Championships that took place in Rancagua, Chile over the past couple of weeks. It was a tournament I was present at, so I have plenty of views on the tournament and so do my two guests with me. And they are names familiar to you by now. The regular listeners, that is. And that's first up is uh, Simon Edwards, based in Colombia. How are you, Simon? I'm good. I'm good. Recovering from a little bit of a knee injury, but my team got through to the semi-final on a penalty shootout, so I'm feeling good. Get my management get my management experience for a potential future Colombia world. We'll have to see how it goes. Uh, but yeah, all good. All good here in Colombia. Happy with the result at the end of this tournament, so looking forward to getting to it. So joining me on the pod today is Tom Robinson. How are you, Tom? Yeah, very good. Thanks, Adam. Uh, I can't believe the Sudamericana's over already, but it won't be too long until we're up and running at the Under-20 World Cup. And it's, uh, yeah, it's been it's been a fun tournament. Maybe not the, the highest quality tournament we've ever seen, but it's uh, had plenty of drama right down to the last day. Indeed, indeed. And on Sunday night, Ecuador won the competition, claiming their first ever Under-20 South American Championship title. Uh, they did it first by beating Venezuela 3-0, and then they had to hope that Brazil beat Argentina, which is what came to pass, Brazil claiming a somewhat surprising 1-0 win over the Argentines to hand Ecuador the title. It wasn't enough for the Brazilians, we'll come on to them later, and Argentina too, but we're going to start with the champions, Ecuador. For me, Ecuador were the deserving winners of, uh, of, of, of this tournament. They started the tournament with a 3-0 victory over Paraguay and they finished with a 3-0 victory over Venezuela. That kind of shows just how dominant they were in many of their matches. They, they were the most attacking side in the tournament. The one which you could see had a clear game plan. They had pace and quality passing Throughout the, throughout the side, we'll we're speak a little bit more about their key players in a moment. But I think what was really notable about this Ecuador side compared to the rest of the sides, I've already spoken about them having this, uh, this attacking game plan that perhaps other sides didn't have. But it wasn't just that, it was the variation in it as well. They had so many different types of threat in attack. That for me was the was the reason you know they, they were the team who scored the most goals. They they scored fourteen in 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 this competition. The the next highest, I think, were Argentina and maybe Uruguay joined with them on ten. But yeah, with Campana in the number nine role, then you had on the wings Avaro and uh, Plata, who could provide trickery, and uh, and then in midfield you had the quality passing of Cifuentes and Rezabala. There was there was threats from all angles, and that's not even talking about the fullbacks, um, who who also provided a great threat as well. So, like I say, there were many key players to this side. It is generally very, very difficult on this Ecuador side just to pick out one or two. Um, I think we mentioned a few in the last pod where, where we briefly reviewed the group stages of, of this tournament. Um, but the player for me that I really enjoyed watching uh, was Jose Cifuentes, who in, in the midfield for Ecuador was majestic for much of the tournament. Um, so cool, calm and collected on the ball. He always seemed to have time. And the occasional time he did lose it, he won it back within seconds. He was a standout centre midfielder for me. Great physical presence as well as quality on the ball. Campana, who finished up as top scorer of the, of the tournament, collecting the uh, Alberto Spencer Award. What a legendary Ecuadorian player from the past, so that was, that was rather fitting that he collected that trophy. Um, Campana led the line brilliant, brilliantly for, for Ecuador um, in, in the number nine role. He has many strings to his bow, and I, and I will let Simon talk a little bit more about him because uh, as I know that he's probably the biggest fanboy of Campana on this pod. Yeah, and no, I'm a big fan of Campana. I think real complete forward, really intelligent, scored his goals, but his link-up play has been so, so impressive. As you say, with Ecuador, I think 
for me, the interesting thing is it's one, it's a very collective side. It's a side that knows each other's strengths. They really have a lot of trust in, in their teammates as well. Uh, obviously, with the pace out wide, with Plata, they can stretch the game. They have players who can get on the ball and pass it. But I think the thing is, they just trust each other so much. Uh, they weren't one of those sides that sat back and wanted to keep things compact because they knew that they had the quality to and the athleticism to get back in quickly and cover. So they were really enjoyable throughout the tournament. But yeah, for me, there's there's the, the great individual qualities, but it's also the the ease at which they, they passed the ball around. They were happy to give each other possession under pressure. Um, they were happy to stretch the, the opposition and, and push forward and open up the field. So for me, yeah, really, really interesting side. And Campan in particular, um, his contract runs out at Barcelona in Ecuador in December. So there's already lots of talk. He went on trial last year with Borussia uh, Mönchengladbach. Um, so there's going to be lots and lots of clubs interested because he's going to be basically free or relatively cheap if you want to sign him now uh, coming from Barcelona. And for me, he's all of the qualities to be the next great number nine from South America in the Falcao, Paulo Guerrero mold. Uh, quick over the ground, but a strong, intelligent hold-up play. Just really complete player with the goals as well. Yeah, he's he really led the line for this team and and gave them an outlet. Tom, what do you, what do you think about this Ecuador side? Yeah, I totally agree with Campana. I think that goal that he scored in, on the final day there um, um, in the 3-0 win uh, against Venezuela, which just showed everything that he's about. He's He's got that ability to improvise. The You know, the cross came in. He sort of tried to get on the end of it with a sort of bicycle kick and then managed to scoot around on the floor and, and sort of complete the bicycle kick from a, from a sort of sitting position almost. And just little moments like that and, and you know, the, the lob attempt against Argentina, I think in, that was in the, I can't remember if that was in the group stage or, or the hexagonal. Oh, that, was, that was it. That was against Peru. That was, oh, was that against that was Peru? Game. Yeah. Yeah. It was against Peru. But yeah, he, he did come close to a couple of other collaterals. Maybe you're referring to a different one, but yeah, there, quite there was, possibly. There, yeah, because yeah, I, I was just really pleased for him that he finally did manage to score a brilliant goal because he had come so close like two or three times in, in this tournament, like inches away from a wonder goal and uh, pleased that he finally got one. Exactly, yeah. It was a good way to finish off being the top scorer, as, as we mentioned there. And and yeah, I just echo the sentiments of you guys in, in, in the fact that Ecuador by far were the most consistent side over the tournament. You know, they won their group, they won the hex, they got more points than anyone else. They scored more goals. And that, you know, those stats tell that tell their own story. Um, obviously, the sort of only blip really is, was their two losses to Uruguay, which maybe shows some of the areas where um, teams at the Under-20 World Cup could maybe exploit them. Um, I think sort of two-thirds of the entire goals they conceded in the tournament came from just those two games. Um, but yeah, uh, I yeah I loved Campana. He was a, he's a really nice um, surprise because he was someone I hadn't seen any of before. Um, I'd obviously heard and, and seen a bit of the Independiente the Valle guys, uh, Reza Bala, uh, Moises Ramirez, um, Plata as well. They, they were all guys that I'd kind of seen the names and, and seen a bit of play and, and kind of expected them to be the, the leading lights. But yeah, it was it was more the likes of Cifuentes, as Adam mentioned, um, and Alvarado, players players who I didn't expect anything from and they um, stepped up and, and really impressed me. So I think the, the key now is not to rest on their, their laurels and try and actually um, integrate them into the senior side. Um, obviously, the link to... Uh, Selico um, is is going to be um, really important there, and and we saw an impressive Ecuador side two years ago, and and some of their best players like Brian Cabezas and Estupinian, um, the fullback, they they looked like they were going to go on to be world beaters as well, and and they've and they've struggled for game time, and they've not really kicked on. So the, I think for me, more than getting that first historic win. The, the key aspect is going to be developing them into um, senior team players because if they, a lot of them have got moves off the back of this, but if they stop playing, then that's going to be dangerous, not just for their chances at the Under-20 World Cup, but also um, their sort of development going forward. So really, really interested to see how this generation develops now. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've been talking to some people about, you know, team of the tournament and, you know, who would you include? And the issue is, it's so hard not to include six or seven of these uh, these Ecuador 
players. The goalkeeper as well, I think, was probably the best goalkeeper in the tournament. Um, Wellington Ramirez, already off to, off to Spain. So just throughout the tournament, you're looking at fullbacks. They had a good couple of fullbacks as well. Um, across the midfield, you know, even 17-year-old uh, Emerson in the midfield, Everton Espinosa. So there's such depth in this squad as well. And you could really see how comfortable they were playing together. They were, yeah, I'm happy they won the tournament. They definitely deserved it. Uh, from from their attacking intent to their collective play to their hard work, uh, very complete team full of interesting players. And as you say, hopefully we can track them moving forward as opposed to thinking what could have been. So lots and lots of names for the notebook and lots of people to remember uh, and see where they go from now on. Oh yeah, you've just reminded me actually talking about Ecuador's uh, squad depth. As that as that was something I was a little bit unsure of because they did seem to sort of not rotate much. And I thought in their game against Brazil, that, that was their penultimate game. I did think some of their players had started to look a little bit leggy. But they did bring on this winger, Daniel uh, Segura, um, with, well, I think, I think the, in, the board for injury time went up pretty much the same time as he came on. Um, but he collected the ball um, just inside his own half, played a one-two with a teammate, sprinted down the line, danced past a couple of Venezuelan uh, defenders and then curled the ball into the far corner. And, uh, and yeah, that, that was one of the most joyous moments, I think, of the tournament because you could see that he was obviously frustrated they hadn't got many minutes in this tournament. But obviously he was also happy for the team for doing so well. Yeah, you, know, you could see when he put that ball away, you know, his, his teammates were so happy for him as well. And, and you really saw the togetherness of that Ecuador group in that moment. And, uh, and yeah, he, he actually had, I think it was him who had the chance to make it 4-0, which would have put even more pressure on Argentina in their next game. Um, it, it was a fantastic goal. And, uh, and together with that Campana goal, they were two of the best goals of the tournament, actually, in one game last night um two fantastic individual efforts and uh, and yeah and, and like simon says we we may see a couple of these players play again in two years time so it's gonna it's, it's gonna be fun to see i think uh going forward and let's hope that we get to see a lot of these players develop in competitions like the copa libertadores and uh, and possibly we might even see some of these Ecuador players being uh, being given some senior caps um, in in the coming year. It'd be interesting how many end up going to Brazil for the Copa America. Anyway, let's move on to talk about Argentina. Now, for me, Argentina were one of the most uh, interesting sides in this competition. Looking at it from the perspective of in, the, in their first game, I thought they played decent. I thought they looked one of the better sides in the tournament. But after that, they did seem to drop off a little. Um, there didn't seem to be much cohesion to their play. They kind of battled their way through to the, to the final stage. Um, but in the end, when they got to the final stage, they really seemed to, to, up, to up their game. They did lose to Ecuador. They lost to Ecuador twice. Um, first in the group stage and then in the hex. To, they managed to see off Colombia, Uruguay and uh, and comfortably Venezuela in in three of the matches to, to book their place in Poland. And it was in that week where they played those three matches that we saw the best of this Argentina side. And, uh, and, and we really saw some of the names that we had heard about before the tournament really come to the fore, especially, I think he's 18 now, but um, is, is he 17 or 18, De La Vega, Tom? I think he might just be 18, yeah. let me. Let, he uh, if, if he is 18, he hasn't been 18 long. But for me, he, yeah, he's a ridiculous talent. He, he looked one of the more mature players in this whole tournament, um, and despite being one of the youngest um, at it. Um, a couple of times I had to sort of double check his number to make sure, is he really the number five in, in this? Why is he wearing number five? I was thinking, but he, he was such a versatile player as well um, in, in this argument. He, he popped up in, in, a, in a few different positions but during the game. Um, he was one of the most fluid players I noticed in, 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 the, in the whole tournament. It's in some games he would start out front three, but 
he was always one of the first players to to perhaps drop back into a sort of a, a defensive midfield role. He was a really interesting player to watch. And um, and like I say, so mature for his age. Um, actually, at the end as well, he seems very comfy. He seems like one of these players who's very comfortable with all the attention as well. Because uh, when they were giving out the, the prizes, um, he came over to... Uh, the, the supporters at the side and he was taking some selfies with some young fans, signing some autographs. Not many players did that, but he seemed sort of very comfortable and sort of in his element doing all that. So, so yeah, he seems like a very confident young player and uh, on, and, on and off the field. And um, yeah, I, I think he's got a huge future ahead of him. No, Tom? Definitely. He's, um, I think he's shown that maturity and ability to handle the pressure ever since he made his debut for Lanús. I think it was against Racing um, that he got his debut as a 17-year-old, had a really good um, chance in that game. And and I think there was a video circulating afterwards when he was kind of being welcomed back into his class the next day um, by his schoolmates, which was, uh, yes, certainly seems grounded. He's uh, he's kind of from a middle-class family, I understand, from from talking to some He's he's not yeah he's not your typical you know he's not someone like Alma who is from the same neighbourhood as Carlos Tevez he's he's that typical kind of blonde poster boy who yeah is from a, a maybe a slightly more middle class um, background but yeah he's he's got kind of got everything and like you said he's got that intelligence on the field um, that can see him playing a number of roles and he, he dealt with a pr- uh, pressure and, and really played his way into the squad and I was just checking there and yeah he did turn 18 during the tournament so uh, yeah lots of um, hope for him now and he was definitely one who, who came out of this tournament with their reputation enhanced um, I think certainly out of the two uh, 17 year olds who started the tournament he definitely had a better one than Almada who um, uh, I was dis- disappointed to see him not feature more but it was a case that as the tournament went on uh, Maroni really ended up being the, the focal point um, in terms of the, the creativity in that number 10 role and maybe just the fact that you know being a couple of years younger it's hard to sort of stamp your authority on a game and, and Maroni was I think in the end, for me, Argentina's key player. Um, I mean, he wasn't even meant to come to this tournament, but um, an injury to Barco gave him his chance, and he worked his way into the squad and and come, came up with some big moments. Not only that Golasso against Uruguay in the uh, in the in the group stage, but he came up with uh, some some other really key moments as well. So it's it's really nice to see him. Uh, fulfill his potential because everyone's known about him for a while ever since he moved from uh, Instituto in Cordoba to to Boca Juniors he's never really had a chance there despite always playing well when he's when he's got on um so yeah it's, it's, it's gonna be really nice to see how he develops um and I think other than that it was it was more a case of how <coughs> how impressive defensively Argentina um looks it's not something we've always said about them um again Rather than Balerdi, who who missed a, a couple of games due to the the contract he was signing with Dortmund, and then managed to get himself injured for for the, in the Uruguay game that he did play, it was uh, Nelwin Perez who looked who really really looked a rock at the centre of the defence, and certainly I think partly why Argentina maybe struggled to begin with um, was just that yeah they were constantly changing um, their lineup sometimes through necessity sometimes. Um, you know, just because they wanted to keep everyone fresh. But Perez had a number of different centre-back partners and and always looked like a leader there. So he was good. Uh, the keeper, Roffo, was quietly having a very good tournament as well. He's, again, someone who's been touted for quite some time as, as a good player. And then I think other than that, Anibal Moreno really, really grew into, um, into the tournament and was good at winning the ball, yeah, passed the ball he was, well. He, he was probably Argentina's most uh, consistent performer in the hex. He really sort of grabbed his opportunity in, in, in that stage and really made a mark on this Argentina side. He, he was a player who really caught my eye in the last week or so of the tournament. Yeah, definitely. And he got that fantastic goal against Uruguay as well to really kind of um, cap his his good performances there in the latter stages, as you mentioned. Sosa as well did well alongside him. And, you know, there were some other good moments from um, Adolfo Gaich, who got that 
impressive hat trick uh, against Venezuelan. He he he's a player I wanted to talk to you about because I don't know if you remember, like during the group stage, I think I I think we were having a chat on I think it was on WhatsApp about him um, specifically and whether he was sort of average or he has sort of potential to become a world beater or not. I I wasn't quite sure what bracket to put him in. Um, to be honest, even now at the end of this group stage, I feel um, at the end of this final stage, I feel like I've seen uh, the best and the worst of him. <laughs> so he, he's definitely a player I'm going to be keeping a close eye on over the years. A player he reminds me a little bit of is uh, at, at the same age is Harry Kane, actually. Mm, um, yes, not a bad show. Similar kind of build, and Kane had all kinds of issues, certainly confidence issues in front of goal at that age. But, you know, he worked ever so hard on his game. You know, that's that's well documented how hard he worked to end up becoming one of the best strikers in the world. And I think that Deitch has many of the same attributes as Kane. So if he can really work hard, at his game, I, I still feel that there's a that there's a real quality striker there because his performance against Venezuela was definitely one of the standout moments of this whole tournament. Certainly, certainly one of the performances I most enjoyed watching. Certainly, sort of my terrible level of uh, football. You know, I'm I'm a centre forward myself, and seeing that centre forward tight display was uh, was a real pleasure to watch in, in, in that game. Yeah, he was when one of a, a number of good, proper, old-fashioned number nine performances. And yeah, like you said, I'm still not 100% sure. We've seen um, players like Gio Simeone, again, relatively limited in terms of natural ability, but with the right hard work, you, you've seen them go on to have a very good careers. You know, there's a bit of the Martin Palermo about him as well, I think. And if he can have half as good a career as him, then, then they've done something right so yeah interesting to see how Geitz, um progresses because he, he's certainly going to be a striker that gives you a different option certainly in Argentinian football um, and I thought Julian Alvarez had some good moments a few few big misses as well um, and, we, and we never really kind of saw apart from a few flashes from Romero um, you know, we never saw much of the kind of foreign based players like Colidio really kind of justify their reputation so certainly areas to improve for Argentina and and you'd like to think with maybe Belerdi coming in and um, Almendra as well that there's players that can still come in and, and improve this squad further so they seemed you know very together and, and, and a nice balance for uh, for an Argentina group not too many stars and everyone kind of getting on well and, and willing to work for each other so yeah I, I was I was worried at the group stage that maybe my my uh, confidence of them making the World Cup was a bit ill-placed, but uh, I can sit back smugly now and, and watch um, the Aoi Celeste in, in Poland now. Yeah, so moving on to another side who managed to make it to the Under-20 World Cup in Poland. Uruguay finished in third place. This is a side that I think by some distance I'm probably... probably the least opinionated about I think because having watched them I think I must have watched them four times I think over the course of the tournament in person I'm basically still not exactly sure what they are or how good they are they, they beat Ecuador twice um, and that's the only two games Ecuador lost in the, in the tournament um, but they but Uruguay managed to lose Peru in, in their opener they were deservedly beaten by Argentina twice. Um, they let a two-goal lead slip against Brazil, although they did manage to uh, score in injury time to win that one in the end. But yeah, it was a Uruguay side which never quite convinced me. There were there were points, especially in games against Venezuela and uh, and, and Ecuador, where I thought potentially they're the best side in this competition. But then I saw them in other matches and I thought, uh, they, they don't quite seem to have enough about them. You know, the, the cohesion of the team didn't seem quite to be there, which is a surprise as that's something you perhaps associate with Uruguay at youth level. It, things just didn't seem to, to click for, throughout the tournament. They, they were a team of moments rather than 
of consistency for me. I think Busquets at right back, Acevedo in 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 midfield were two of the more consistent performers. Um, Bruno Mendes at the back really impressed as well. But yeah, Tom, I don't, I don't know what you made of them, but um, but. Like I say, help us out here maybe a little bit because after after a number of times watching them, I'm I'm still I'm still not exactly sure what they are. <laughs> to be honest, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat really. I think you can watch them plenty and still get that feeling. It's not through lack of trying that we're kind of yeah, just a little bit a bit of a muted performance from them in terms of over the last few years we've we've seen Uruguay under 20 sides with a really distinct style really distinct personality and you know that, that feeling that they they were really fighting for the shirt and they, and they knew what it was all about and as we've mentioned previously there was that seemed there seemed to be that clear pathway from uh, the under 20s into the into the senior side but there was just something a bit underwhelming about them as you said they they weren't really kind of you know a tough rugged Uruguay that are hard to beat and they weren't kind of like two years ago when they were playing some really sensational technically impressive stuff in in the midfield it was it was kind of a halfway house between the two and and as you said they they had those moments where they showed what they could do you know the only side to beat Ecuador um, and that Partidazo against Brazil with an amazing last minute winner um, you know, they, they were they were moments that really lived long in the memory. But if, if you know, if, certainly when we're talking about players of of the tournament, there was there were some good performances around. But it, it'd be hard to really say, yeah, that guy definitely would be in, in in the best team of the tournament. Certainly, probably one of their defensive players, such as Mendes, who's got a move to Corinthians off the back of him, his performances. Maxi Araujo, I thought, was probably one of the better left-backs in the tournament. And, and as you said, Busquets was was good on the right as well. Uh, Acevedo uh, was my sort of most pleasant surprise from it because, uh, you know, I, tr- I try and follow a, f- a fair amount of Ur- Uruguayan football and he was one that I hadn't seen as much of. And, and he really had a lot of personality and, and, and bossed the midfield in the same sort of way that Cifuentes did for, for Ecuador. And apart from that, it was kind of a tale, a tale of their forwards not really clicking. Nunez disappointed. Uh, I think it probably uh, came a bit too early for Gomez. And it was just sort of the return of Chiapacase, uh, who got you know four of Uruguay's 10 goals. He looked lively. Davila had his moments as well, but yeah, there was just no consistency or or feeling that they were growing in the tournament, like like Argentina, for example. You know, the, the, I think they dispatched the teams that they needed to a lot of the time, but never really threatened, kind of, yeah, sort of taking taking to the game to opponents that were maybe of a similar or higher level, apart from obviously the the Ecuador game. So, uh, yeah, I'm still. I don't know. I'm not sure if it's that I don't know what to make of them or if I'm just a little bit, um, uh, yeah, underwhelmed compared to previous years when, you know, there was so much to love about them. So, I mean, I could see this team doing all right at the World Cup, but, you know, they, I don't think they're really going to be going further than the quarterfinals. I think that's probably the level I'd, I'd place them at. Yeah, I think I agree with you there. And uh, on uh, Shirpakasi, like, he was disappointing in the early stages of this tournament, but then had a real kind of purple patch just sort of around the end of the group stage, start of the final stage, if I if I recall correctly. But even he seemed to tail off again towards the end. Like yesterday he was he, um, in in their in their final match against Colombia. He for me he 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 was one of the more disappointing performers in that. So so yeah, it's it, it was a confusing Uruguay side, as what, as we as as we both mentioned. The thing uh, I think um, is worth mentioning as well is it'll be really interesting to see if uh, Coito calls up um, Thiago Vecino, um, the the Nacional striker who was sort of bizarrely left out of the squad, and he's someone who's absolutely banged them in at youth level for, for Nacional and there were a couple of other players in in that is he, is, is he a relation to Matias Vecino? I'm not sure I don't think so but um, 
yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not too sure on that one, but he's he's someone who I, I'd be interested to see if he makes it in. Um, I think there's also um, Guillermo May as well, who I think is um, on the books of Deportivo La Coruña now, who who could be someone who who came in and and Brian Ocampo, um, all guys who sort of did well at, uh, at youth level for Nacional um, and sort of making making waves. So I, I could see some some changes. I mean, apart from that solid defence um, and, and maybe a bit more invention in midfield, I think bringing in some more attacking players could could maybe tip the balance in their favour there. So it will be interesting to see if Koita goes for a, maybe a bit more of an, an attacking approach. Um, and um, and maybe it's just time to freshen things up at under-20 level. You know, Koito's been there for a while now. Maybe it's it's time to get some some new ideas in there. Indeed. Well, wasn't wasn't he meant to move up to the senior to manage the senior squad by now? Let someone step into that rock. Yeah. Maybe maybe <laughs> yeah. maybe everybody there in that system is staying in their role a little bit too long, outstaying their well. Let's move on to talk about the side that finished in fourth place, Colombia. We haven't heard much from Simon at the moment so I'm going to come to him in a minute to talk about his dear old country um, now I think I might surprise you here Simon when I say that um, I thought I thought that Colombia ended up thoroughly deserving their place um, in the under 20 World Cup um, they grew on me a little bit as, as, uh, as the tournament went on um, I thought in the last week of the tournament, they started to find a little bit more balance to the side. They weren't overly defensive. Uh, um, I, I, fe- I felt that their attacking units started to connect a little bit better, although really it was a case of Angulo's pace creating a lot of the space and time for, for other players to then fail to score, which, uh, which I'm sure we're come on to talk about in a minute. But what has to be pointed out here was just how good Colombia's defence was during the tournament. And perhaps looking back, whilst I was reporting on it, sort of as the tournament was going on, I probably didn't give enough credit. But today, when I was reflecting back and thinking back more to, to the games I witnessed and looking back at my notes, Colombia didn't concede many clear-cut chances throughout the tournament. They actually, from what I could remember earlier, and I did mean to double check this, so sorry if I've got it wrong, but I'm fairly sure that they only conceded one goal in open play or tournament. I think they conceded three in total and the other two were were set pieces. And the one goal they conceded was that one in injury time, like the 94th or 95th minute against Ecuador, which was a slightly sort of bizarre goal anyway looking back. So that, that that was a quite remarkable record. Now, why did they have such a great defence? Well, a lot of it can be put down to one man, and that is Carlos Cuesta. Now, it's rare for defenders to get player of the tournament, but I think if I was to watch a lot of this tournament back and going a little bit with my gut feeling as to who I would, I would give player of the tournament to, I think I'd be very tempted to give it to Cuesta. Um, he led this Colombia side magnificently from the back. He rarely gave the ball away in possession. He was very rarely beaten one on one, and uh, and and he also orchestrated pretty much the rest of his side from the back there as well. It, he was one of the most outstanding performers in in this competition, wasn't he, Simon? Yeah, absolutely. And if we think back to the discussions we had before the tournament, my concern was that this defence is kind of patched together. Uh, Hajim Palacios, who was very good going forward and and is very tenacious and and quick to get back in his position, but is more of an attacking player than a fullback. Uh, Andres Reyes, we've seen impressive physically, quick and strong, but... A little bit, you know, not not as quite as tidy as some of the defenders in the tournament. And then Vera, again, more of an attacking player, did did fairly well. The Leonis player at, at fullback, um, and Fabio Delgado came in as well. But this this was a potential issue for Colombia. That there, there, there wasn't a clear defensive unit there. 
And I think you have to say it's so much credit to Cuesta to get everybody on board and get everyone playing and call, calm everybody down. They look very composed. They they rarely looked uh, panicked. Um, and, you know, Meyer in goal as well was a concern for the tournament, but I think he did pretty good too. Um, yeah, he was, he, he was pretty solid. Again, a player I couldn't really think made too many mistakes, but I think he was probably helped by the fact he had quite a secure line in front of him because even sorry to sort of overtake you no, again no. but thinking about a couple of other key key players in this Colombia side even in games where Colombia found themselves under a bit more pressure um, there was also Belanta in front of the in front of the defense cleaning up a lot of the danger as well um, and and he worked ever so hard off the ball throughout the tournament um, so, yeah, I think the goalkeeper was definitely helped by the fact he probably had sort of the strongest sort of six, a unit of six in front of him, which which really protected his goal well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there were Balanta was very good. Goes as well, I think, was a big miss for Colombia. I think they always looked a bit more dynamic when he was the second uh, deep lying midfielder. Uh, Balanta's a ball winner, but he, but he keeps it simple. Um, there were other options. Carvajal also was quite impressive, given that he's just turned 18, may still be 17. So he's very young as well. But I think Goes was the guy who brought in a bit of a mixed option. Uh, Alvarado, the, the Watford player, um, did a good job. Um, wasn't quite on the same wavelength as some of the Colombian players. Um, sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad. He was a bit more dynamic, trying to get the ball forward quickly. Um, but maybe didn't connect as well at times, but became, grew into the tournament, became useful. In the final game, he had the option to play a little bit further forward with Goes back in the midfield, uh, and he did enjoy that and did quite well in that position. But yeah, this the issue is they had a, a good defence, uh, solid midfield, kept the ball very well, passed it well, but there was no creation. And in attack, there were... You know, uh, I think very interesting that Tom mentioned before the tournament, where's, where's Daiwa Caicedo? And that's a question that every Colombian who followed this team is now asking because he's been banging them in in the league for Deportivo Cali at uh, full level, but uh, didn't get called up to the squad because he wasn't a giant. So the strikers were as an issue. I think Sandoval probably came out maybe with the best reputation. Um, he was a little bit more dynamic, but never looked like scoring. Once their confidence had gone, then they they were happy to drop back deep and to and to link the play, but they didn't back themselves to to get in the box or get on the end of things. So, Colombia, honestly, Colombia looked best when they were panicking and they needed a goal. For example, against Chile, um, in in the game where they had to, they were looking to get the win against Uruguay, even down to ten men, they looked better because the game yeah, kind of went out the window. In, in fact, the two times they were down to ten men. They seem to create the most <laughs> chances in, in, in this competition. It was a bit bizarre. But. Yeah, I think it, part of it is, is Reyes, man. He, he he really set them up well defensively and he wanted them to keep the ball. Um, but it, it didn't really turn into an attack. They, they would pass it and pass it and pass it. And the guy we haven't mentioned or I haven't mentioned is Ivan Angulo. And you, you did say, but he was the guy who made the difference, really. And, and that was really the only outlet. Um there was pace in the side. Jada Valencia has pace. Carbonero has pace. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think uh, Ana Morado as well, who's already got a move off the back of this tournament, pace. But the guy who has the pace to, to turn defence to attack and then still make a pass or score an incredible goal is Ivan Angulo. And for me, he was unlike almost anyone in the tournament. In the way that he can run with the ball, but then also shift his balance and beat a man... Nobody fancied themselves one-on-one -on -one with Angola. They were always backing off. And for me, he was very, very impressive. But then he'd pass it to Jada Valencia or uh, Correa and, and they would completely ruin it. So it was an interesting Colombia side. Uh, I do think the, the focus on keeping possession and keeping order helped them with their good defensive display. But they lacked the creativity. Toloso came on against Uruguay and did well, but... He lacked the creativity. He could he could execute the passes and he could shoot really well and everything he did was right. But the decision making and, and seeing the pass wasn't quite there. 
So it's a real shame because he has all of the ingredients, but I think just the creativity kind of lacks to be a playmaker. He was kind of more effective out wide, but then Colombia really didn't have anyone in the middle. Um, so I think it's a, 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 a probably a deserved fourth place on the basis of, of the overall tournament. There's some interesting players, some interesting systems, um, but there's a lack of creativity in the side. And I think Ivan Angulo aside, there was no really impressive attacking performances from this Colombia side uh, until they had five minutes to score and threw everything forward and the plan went out the window and then they looked quite dangerous. So, you know, some interesting things to take, some good performances. Cuesta was incredible. Ivan Angulo, I think, is is going to be a big, big star uh, already off to Palmeiras. Um, but, you know, and there's a few other respectable performances, but aside lacking and cutting edge. Yeah, I found it quite hard to love Colombia. I'm not going to lie. I mean, they, they were absolutely fantastic defensively. But, I mean, four four games out of five in, in, in the hexagonal, which they failed to score. I mean, it's, it's kind of almost the theme of this tournament. Just really, really good defences for one rather than most of the time we're kind of looking at the attacking players to come out of these tournaments. Um, I think most of the teams that, um, even even the ones that kind of disappointed a bit in the uh, in the hexagonal, you know, you could pick a couple of defenders out of each one of them. Um, and I think it was that that was like the, the underlying tone of this tournament for me. I, I don't know what you guys think about the lack of goals, but I, I think I read somewhere that it was the, the lowest average amount of goals um, of any Sudamericano were just 1.71 per game. Certainly felt that way. <laughs> certainly felt that there was a lack of goals. Um, yeah, for, like from my perspective, sort of being there and the, and the reasons uh, why I think that happened. Well, first of all, that it was ridiculously hot mm. for the majority of the games. You know, and we've seen so many times in major tournaments. You know that does that doesn't do any favors to the spectacle of sort of attacking football if um, if it if it's just too hot for sort of a fast paced attacking game. The pitch was also slow. Now I've seen some people say it's because the grass was long, but I got pretty close to the grass last night and it didn't look particularly long to me. I think it was more of the fact that it was dry. I think the pitch was too dry. And again, that comes back to the heat. They were trying to water it. But, you know, trust me, if, 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 you, if you wash your clothes here at the moment, you can get them dry within 10 minutes. Um, it's, it's, that, it's, that, it's that kind of uh, dry heat. So, yeah, I think, I think that's a factor. But from a more football perspective, I feel that it was the fact that many sides decided to go with a fairly deep defensive line. We didn't see uh, many sides playing with a high line, which we've seen in previous under-20 tournaments. Um, certainly back in sort of, I remember in 2013, I think the majority of sides played with a high line in that one. And that one had a lot of goals in it, if I, if I recall correctly. So, yeah, it was... Um, and I, and I think that side decided to play with the high line, again, partly due to the conditions. Um, but also, it, it just seems that there was a generation of talented defenders on, on perhaps each of the sides as well. So just managers looking to maybe play to, to those strengths. No? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, those reasons. I definitely think that, yeah, you've got a combination of, of all of those uh, factors, plus probably just the the necessity of of so many games in a short amount of time meaning that you people are either either tired or they're having to rotate and maybe in unfamiliar lineup so that's probably good. i think they've all got something to do with it um and certainly yeah it, it might be a case of as well as the inverted commas lesser teams getting better for from from you know the the competition they've got here and and some of the the better teams resting on their laurels not being quite as innovative tactically as as they might have to be and and uh, just kind of relying on good players to try and make the difference rather than um you know the best tactical setup so yeah definitely definitely a more conservative tournament um but certainly one that um it has its merits and there's going to be plenty of good players to come out of speaking of conservative sides let's talk <laughs> about brazil who didn't make it now 
Yeah, well, anybody who's followed my coverage of the of of, of these under twenty championships will know that Brazil certainly weren't my favourite side in the competition. Um, they were overly defensive, and they kind of proved it to me by the fact that when they were forced to attack in a couple of matches. They they didn't look too bad. Like when they were two goals down to Uruguay, and they and they suddenly had to find their way back into that game. They soon scored two goals. I think that was partly helped with the absence of uh, Rodrigo Goes, a player who really disappointed in this championship. And pretty much every Brazil ta- attack, it, it looked like it was written into some kind of contract that every time Brazil went on the t- on the attack, they had to try and find him. So when he was missing, you know, Brazil were a lot less predictable. The uh, the only time they scored two goals in the in the final stage was was when Rodrigo was was missing. But yeah, I think that even that game they ended up losing. Yeah, but their defence held firm in 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 many of their matches. But I don't think that was particularly due to um, any kind of great individual quality like you had on the on the Colombia side. I think it was mainly just due to a very conservative approach, just doing its job, really. Um, the the only player who really I enjoyed watching on this Brazil side was uh, Marcos Bahia, uh, the number eight in midfield, um, who was a lovely passer of the ball. But even as the tournament went on, um, <laughs> I just started really feeling a bit sorry for him because he he was it just became sort of more and more difficult for him to influence matches as as the standard around him was was really quite poor um this brazil side desperately missed Vinicius junior whether real madrid will let him go to the under 20 world cup i i know that that was the original plan but you know that that's not an issue anymore because brazil didn't make it Anyway, but I think even if they had made it, the fact that Vinicius is having such an impact there in in in, in Madrid, but I don't think I don't think they would let him go anyway. So so yeah, this was a very dull and uh, uninspiring Brazil side, and uh, they gave their best performance of the tournament on the last day against Argentina. That was a game they had to win three 0 They set up for that game, in my opinion. Perfectly. They, they could have well won it 2-0. Um, they had chances to, to go two up. I certainly think 3-0 would have been very flattering if they managed to score two goals. But that was certainly their their most balanced display. And it was it came when they were basically forced into it. They were, they were forced into having to attack a match. And when they did, they didn't look too bad at it. So for me, looking back, if, if you're part of the Brazilian FA or part of that Brazilian coaching team, which sent those players out there, you've got to feel some huge regret over how this tournament went. Because the overall standard of this tournament, I have to say, wasn't particularly high compared to some previous years. Um, so for Brazil to miss out will will be something of a huge blow given their pedigree at this level. Yeah, very, very disappointing. Um, Lincoln as well in attack, got a couple of penalties, scored a couple of here and there, but for me, really not not a great option uh, as a focal point of the of the attack. Um, Emerson as well, the right back, looked okay, fairly solid, has already got himself a move to Europe, I mean, Barcelona. Um, I, there was one moment in the game where he lost the ball three times in a row, including one where he fell on his face. And then got the ball and did an elastico. I was like, mate, priorities, man, priorities. Um, they were fairly solid in defence, but I think they were the back four was protected by you know six players in front of them. So it was difficult to kind of pinpoint who was really making the difference defensively. It was a lot of tactical fouls and an intent to kind of win moments, as you say, mostly through Rodrigo, who mostly lost possession. 
Um, I also noticed that he scored two goals and everyone was like, Rodrigo, look how amazing he is. He's ripping up the U20s. Like, okay, you haven't watched any games because he's been awful. Um, so, you know, it, it, sh- it shouldn't be this way. Brazil are so have so much talent in their country. And again, there'll be three or four players who come out of this team and go on to do great things. It's very difficult to imagine having watched them play so many games in a couple of weeks, but it's inevitable that some will will show more in a more expressive system or maybe, you know, we'll find some form. But you look at this Brazil side and, and there are no stars. Marcus Bahia is, is very good in the ball, but his enthusiasm drained in the tournament as his impressive passes were going to players who then just pump it forward or just run into a dead end. There was they had no plan. There was no idea how to score. And and I think it's been a thing with a couple of these sides that the the coach has kind of held them back. I think some of the similar things with Colombia, as you say, with Brazil, when they opened up and were a bit more free, that they were a lot more impressive when they kind of had nothing to lose. Um, so you know, I think a different system. Uh, Carlos Amadeo has not really done a great thing for his CV with his performance in the tournament, but. Uh, you know, very disappointing. I'm sure there's some players in there, but on the on the base of this tournament, it's very hard to see. Robert, tell me, give a give a positive view. I wish I could, but my uh, pre-tournament enthusiasm for them has definitely cursed them. I think, as you as you rightly pointed out, there, I think it's for me, it's more of a lack of ideas than than poor players necessarily. Obviously, there's not loads of great passing midfielders coming through. Um, you know, the likes of Artur just seem to be the, the you know the, the creme de la creme that that do make it despite the system um and uh, you know that's that's brazil missing out three of the last four editions which is shocking for um a nation of the t- you know the talent of players they produce um you know as you said good players will come out of it um you know again some decent defensive performance i thought vital showed that he's got some promise and and felipe the goalkeeper i think was one of the better goalkeepers in the tournament as well um but yeah, up front, massive disappointment. Um, I think Rodrigo, as as Adam said there, suffered from everything funneling through him and, and making it too predictable. Um, and he kind of reminded me a bit of when Gabby goal, I think in 2015, was you know the Santos starlet that, that everyone was expecting big things from. And, and he flopped as well at the uh, Sudamericano. So um, yeah, it's I, I had big hopes for them purely because... Um, of the crop of players that had done so well for the under-17s. But I think there was a mixture of uh, Brazil missing the majority of the the star players of that team, either through injury or for them not being released uh, by their club. Um, and the fact that the, maybe the, some of the ones that were there, like Lincoln, haven't progressed um, from when they did have that maybe physical advantage two years ago and they just haven't developed their game as much. So really, really disappointing from Brazil. Um, I thought we'd maybe see a bit more from them in the hexagonal in the way that, you know, Argentina stepped it up. Um, But yeah, big, big problems, I'd say, at at youth level in terms of um, what what they're trying to do. And, you know, it's you can say it's a freak result every now and again, but like three out of four that I think there needs to be some long, hard looks um, at, at grassroots football there in Brazil. Indeed, and and if any listeners see Rodrigo included in an under-20 team of the tournament, then I can guarantee you that that person hasn't watched this competition unfold at all. Um, Let's move on to talk about a side which burned so brightly, well, probably the majority of this tournament until the last week, and that that was Venezuela. Um, it, It... it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strange one, this. After a couple of the match days in the hexagonal, they, they were on four points and they looked nailed on to, to qualify for, for Poland. But they, they fell apart in the, in the last week. Now, the reasons why it's, it's, it's difficult to pinpoint without having sort of a, an eye or an ear in, the, in, in their dressing room, but um, certainly the Venezuelan journalists and and some of the supporters that I spoke to were desperately unhappy with Dudamel's management of the of the squad both in terms of t- 
team selection and there are, there are also some questions about his man management of certain players. Uh, the star man for them in this tournament was, uh, was Jan Hedoro. But he, despite having some incredible moments uh, of, of individual brilliance, the fact that he ended up getting sent off twice in this tournament, you know, really had a big impact on, on, on Venezuela not eventually qualifying. And there, there must be some question marks as to why he ended up getting sent off. Because to me, it seemed in both those matches he did get sent off it was due to frustration. And that was because as the tournament went on, I felt that sides had started to cut the supply line to him. Um, and once they did that, Venezuela lacked um, the nous and the creativity to find different ways of, of getting beyond the fences rather than just getting the ball to Hadalo and him sort of bullying his, his way through. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of it, it's it's an interesting one, and I've been surprised at the amount of abuse Dudamel received in the stadium, and uh, and many call, and many calls for him to resign completely from the from the Venezuela setup. I've seen, I've both heard in the stadium and also saw on social media, which to be fair shocked me a little bit because I thought. You know, surely he's got some credit there from two years ago. And although things have gone wrong with this squad, it's, they weren't they weren't a complete flop in this tournament. They they came through a group. They knocked out the host Chile. So I think it would be a very rash decision to get rid of uh, Dunamel from the setup at, at at this point. I think he certainly deserves a crack at qualifying for Qatar 2022 um, with the group of under-20 players we saw two years ago um, coming through because uh, this side had some talented players, uh, Sosa, uh, Vargas, Parmazano, who, sh- who showed glimpses of, of what he could do, but was nowhere near consistent enough. Pablo Benia at right-back was certainly one of the surprise packages we spoke a bit about him on on the on the on the pod we did when we reviewed the group stage, but yeah, he's he was probably Venezuela's most consistent performer, and uh, and yeah, he he just plays for a small club in in, in Venezuela, so called Portuguese, I, I I believe. So I can imagine that he's going to move to Europe pretty soon or if not to one of the big clubs in, in South America on the basis of his, his performances. But yeah, overall, not enough players stepped up this time. I thought the goalkeeper, um, tr- the Venezuela goalkeeper, in contrast to Barinas two years ago, who, who, we, who we adored. But yeah, this year's keeper, Ol says he was... For me, he transmitted nerves to the defence, and, and I don't think that particularly helped. Venezuela's calls, but overall, it left me with a sensation of disappointment uh, on this Venezuela side because they promised so much at one point, but ended up just fading away, and uh, and that was a real shame, especially given the fact that it was the Venezuela supporters who packed out the stadiums for for for, for many of these matches. Yeah, it was a. Uh... I was disappointed as well with the way it panned out for Venezuela. You know, they like you said, they'd done so well, um, you know, even at the start of the hexagonal, but then three back-to-back defeats with no goals scored, it it really was an implosion towards the end. And, you know, ever since Adolfo Gaich's third strike, um, you know, it was all just sort of downhill. And I think that shattered their confidence, really. Um, again, I think there'll be some good players who who emerged from this squad. Um, you know, we, we mentioned, or you mentioned uh, most of them there. Um, McCoon obviously looks like a, a good player who's, who's got a big future out of him as well. Um, but yeah, it really was those Jekyll and Hyde performances from Hurtado. I think if he was available um, more, then Venezuela might have just had enough. But he seemed to, yeah, as you said, his temperament is something that has been questioned in the past. And obviously he's, he fell out with, I think it was Tachera um, before 
eventually moving to Gimnasia La Plata. And if if they can kind of channel that frustration and anger in the right way, then they've got a heck of a player because, you know, as you said, there are moments where he was absolutely unplayable. He, you know, looked like sort of Lukaku at his best. Um, and, yeah. Uh, we, we should mention that bit of commentary as well, which uh, which did the rounds where Hadaro, he, his best game... Came, his best game came against Brazil, didn't it? In the, yeah. in the, at the start of the hex, and uh, and yeah, but I think it was an Argentine commentator, wasn't it? Who who basically did sort of a noise noise of a car as he motored through the the, the Brazilian midfield and defence, and, and in the end was denied by an excellent stop actually from a Brazilian goalkeeper. But yeah, if you can find that online, uh, that, that's certainly a a classic clip to take away from these championships. Yeah, Hazardo was great. Uh, I'm interested, what do you guys think in the end about Christian Macoun? Obviously, very impressive physically, started very well, uh, very strong, very dominant in the air, a Juventus player. But I kind of felt that he got found out a few times in this tournament. His mobility maybe wasn't there in tight spaces. When Venezuela were deep, he was fine, but I thought at times he got a little bit found out. I mean, looked to me like... At the start of the tournament, one of the best players, best defenders in the tournament. But I do think he had a few issues. I mean, what did you guys think of Macron in defence? I think that he there's still definitely room for improvement defensively off the ball. I think in the on the ball in the tournament with the ball at his feet, probably alongside Cuesta, he was he was probably the strongest ball playing defender. In 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 the tournament, but yeah, I kind of agree that part of Venezuela's collapse in the last week was down to his form suddenly dropping. Now, without knowing the ins and outs, it's it's, it's difficult to say, isn't it? Because we've got to remember that these players, especially the star men on each side, basically played every single minute of every single game in such a short. Spate, you know, amount of time. So, you know, there's a lot of physical and mental exhaustion there going on. I think that might have played a part in some of his latter performances. Um, I, I think there's still a very talented player there. And I think you could, well, I think you would have to say he's probably at one of the best clubs in Europe to develop a, a central defender. Yeah, it's worth noting that he came. He originally sort of came through as a as a defensive midfielder. That's that's where I first saw him play, um, and it's only sort of in the last year he's been consistently playing more at centre back. Certainly for in the Venezuela setup. So yeah, maybe it's going to be a case of he ends up not making it as a centre back and and ends up being a being a a very effective defensive midfielder or he, he still, you know, times on his side, he's still very young. And, uh, and I, and I think there is a, a very talented central defender still in there. So yeah, I'm prepared to give him a pass on, on that last week because not only did his performance drop, the whole Venezuela setup seemed to implode as Tom said. Well, almost, I think the fact that his performance dropped and maybe not because of just him but when he wasn't at it it showed his importance from you know their earlier good performances if he was such a key figure in there that you know without him at his peak everything kind of crumbled around him and and maybe he he lacked a player sort of in his own mold sitting in front of the defense there you know like two years ago they had um young Herrera who was you know a fantastic um, combat, combative uh, defensive midfielder who could who could also get forward as well, and I don't think there was anyone quite who bossed the midfield in that way. I mean, I definitely agree that I think there's plenty of room for him to improve, um, and all the raw attributes are there, and it's certainly still up in the air as to what his best performance is. So maybe this was someone who is, you know, showing the the flaws of his game as a centre-back and, and maybe his, his future will lie in, in defensive midfield. But um, yeah, uh, an interesting mixed tournament from him, but I, I definitely think that there's there's plenty more to come from him. And, and as Adam said, uh, in a great place to develop 
And that wraps us up for this edition of the South American Football Show. Um, it was a fascinating under-20 South American Championships, as, as you've just heard. Um, and we certainly look forward to seeing the four teams who did make it to Poland compete in that under-20 World Cup. And we have more under-20 coverage coming your way on the World Football Index website and on this podcast as that tournament approaches. Let me just go back over to Simon and Tom to find out if they've got anything to plug. Simon? Yeah, Twitter at SimonEdwardsSAF. Anything I do will be up there. Lots of talk about these players. Campana, a lot of Campana love. He's going to be really good. Someone buy him, someone good buy him. But use him as well because he's great. So, yeah, Twitter for anything. I, I came so close to uh, to getting a selfie with Campana. I, I was in line to do it, and then suddenly he he had to go back to his teammates. Although I did I did very briefly manage to uh, to touch the trophy that he got um, uh, for for top goal scorers. He gave it to his dad in the crowd, who was just a few seats away. The, so, the yeah. minister and ex Olympic uh, tennis player. Yes, yes. Yeah. He, he 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 looked like he didn't he didn't look uh, like a government official. He he was dressed in in normal clothes, but uh, yeah, apparently it was his dad. Anyway, Twitter tells. Me. But yeah, unfortunately, I couldn't make you as jealous as I wanted to. Um, <laughs> Tom, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at tomrobo eighty nine. Not too much to plug really just um i'm i'm sure there'll be some scouting spotlight pa- uh, pods off the back of this um and yeah obviously check out the latest libertadores pod if you haven't already indeed indeed and there will be another libertadores pod coming your way very soon as we look at the second legs of the second qualifying rounds of that tournament but, but yeah, that's all, that's all from us this week. A huge thanks to Simon and Tom for joining me to chat about the Under-20 Championships and a huge thanks to our listeners for choosing this pod once again. And it's goodbye. Goodbye.